Good morning, Calvary. Great to be with you. My name is Thomas, if we've never met, and it's my joy to be on staff here at Calvary and be able to open up the scriptures today and continue in our series through the Gospel of Luke as Luke, as the historian, records for us all the things that Jesus historically, factually said, did as he died and truly rose from the grave. And and today we're going to look at his first sermon that he ever gave. This past week in England, there was a transition of authority. A new king is now on the throne. And whenever a new king or a new queen or a president or someone in authority rises to that position, they often give an inaugural address of, of, to the people of what they can anticipate their kingdom to be like, their vision for the kingdom, the goals for the kingdom, what kind of king or queen they would be. And all the people are really interested to know. Because as goes the king and queen, so goes the country. And if it's a king who's benevolent and it's a queen who's kind, well then the country is marked by kindness and goodness. If they're generous and just, we live in a country of of generosity and justice, but man, if they are cruel... If they're abusive, if they are self-centered and prideful, well, that will be the culture of the day. And so there's so much wrapped up in the, the one who occupies the seat of king or queen. And Jesus, in his first sermon, is giving what we would see as an inaugural address of what kind of king is he and what kind of kingdom Does he bring? What will be the ethic of his kingdom that will mark the people who belong to him? So, if you got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 4, got your iPad, fire it up. If you need one, if you need something, there is a Bible in front of you in those seats, grab it. We're going New Testament all the way to the right. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 16. And I'm just going to read all the way through the episode today. And then we're going to unpack it. Verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable to his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, 
when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Verse 28, they're filled with wrath and they determined to kill him. What did Jesus just say? We should probably try to figure it out. So let's pray and ask God would help us today. Well, we might not get it right off the bat. Your inaugural address is filled with grace and an unusual response. And so, Father, would you just be our teacher right now? Would you truly be the one that opens up eyes and ears to hear and to see what you were communicating and how we ought to respond to it? And so, Lord, help us to see who you are as the king. And what your kingdom is about. And who your kingdom's for. And how we belong to the kingdom. And so Lord we just surrender this time to you. And we ask that you would do more than we could, than we could think. That we have planned. That we could imagine. In his name we pray. Amen. Alright let's begin. Verse 16. Luke records for us these episodes as it's happening. Just like a good biographer would. Verse 16 says he came to Nazareth. Now, where is Jesus coming from? Well, Jesus is coming off of two really important scenes. Both of them, or one of them happens in chapter 3. Last week, we ended right before Jesus' baptism. We were talking about John the Baptist as he's preparing the way, people's hearts, preparing people's hearts to receive Jesus, like rolling out the red carpet, so to speak. And right before Jesus' baptisms, we ended. And I got so much flack last week. Like, how can you stop before Jesus was baptized? I said, just relax. We'll get to it next week. And this is where Jesus humbles himself. It's like he stands in line to be baptized. Now, it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus is not being baptized so that he can have his sins forgiven. Jesus is being baptized to authenticate the message of John the Baptist. To qualify John the Baptist as a true prophet and a true messenger. That his message of how you access the kingdom of God through repentance, turning your life over to God, surrendering your life to God, seeking forgiveness is the way into the kingdom. And so Jesus is baptized. Here in verse 21 of chapter 3, Luke records for us, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And then from his baptism. He then moves out into the wilderness. I'm talking about this is a a place of preparation in Israel's story. That God brings his people out to the wilderness. To prepare them for what's next. And 
This drawing Jesus out to the wilderness was a season of temptation for 40 days. So chapter 4 opens up with, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. And he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now for some in the room who are really wishing I was preaching on the temptation of Jesus instead of the inaugural address today, let me just tell you, in a few weeks we're going to take a whole Sunday morning and talk about the devil and his demons. What's his activity? What's his strategy? And what is his presence with us today? So we're going to reserve that for another week. So you can look forward to that. But then from his temptation, he is successful, defeats the devil. And we see here at the end, right here in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he comes to Galilee, which is a large region, and there's more than 200 villages, Nazareth being one of them. And so he returns from his baptism to his temptation to his hometown. And then he comes into the synagogue, as Luke says, was his custom. So every Sabbath day, Saturday, people would gather in their local synagogue, which was the worship center of Judaism outside of Jerusalem, outside the temple. And the synagogue is the place in which probably looked similar to today, minus the electric guitar, where people would gather and they would pray together. And then they would read the scriptures. They'd begin with the law and then read the prophets. And then someone would exposit what they read. They would give a sermon to explain what was read. And then perhaps they would pray and then end with a blessing or song and depart. And Jesus is, is Jewish. It's always important to remember, Jesus is Jewish. He comes into a Jewish context, to a Jewish people, his people that he's promised to come for. And so as his custom has been for decades, he enters the local synagogue to be with the people of God. But unlike days before, he, he participates in the reading and the teaching. And so the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, these are massive scrolls, is handed to Jesus, and Jesus unrolls it to find Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads the first two verses in Isaiah chapter 61. It begins with, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now in Isaiah, there's this large section from chapter 40 to 55, they're like servant passages that talk about the promised servant to come and what the servant's going to do. And they call him the anointed one, that he will be the anointed one, the promised one. That's what Messiah means, anointed one. And so Jesus goes to a messianic text in Isaiah in which they would often read in the synagogue and then say, blessed is the day of the Messiah, the anointed one, when he comes. And he takes that text and he says, I'm the anointed one. Now, what is he anointed with? Well, from his baptism, what was Jesus anointed with? The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, God himself. This is where we get our Trinitarian theology, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's important to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke is especially keen on the work of the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' birth announcement was the work of the Holy Spirit on Mary. At his dedication with Simeon is the work of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism is the Holy Spirit. He's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He's led back to Galilee by the Spirit. It's God's activity on Jesus' life that is everywhere. Father, Son, and Spirit. He is the anointed one. But not only is he the one in which God's Spirit has anointed, he is the promised Messiah. 
in which God has made a covenant with his people from the very beginning, a promise of a redeemer to come. And so Luke records for us Jesus' genealogy. There's probably not a lot of sermons on genealogies in the Bible. People tend to just read over them. Whenever you see a genealogy in the Bible and you're, and you're quick to pass it, just stop for a moment. Because there is gold buried in genealogies. And one of the things that Luke does for us is he connects Jesus not only to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but to some of the promises about the Messiah. There are hundreds and hundreds of promises that were spoken about of Jesus before he showed up. And he has to fulfill all of them. One of them specific is his lineage. It was promised and a covenant was made with Adam from the very beginning of, of humanity's fall. That from the offspring of Adam and Eve would come a redeemer. And then when God brought judgment on the world, he gave a covenant with Noah. and said, from your family will come a redeemer. And then he brought a man, sorry, then he brought a man named Abraham. He said, from a very specific family within humanity will come the redeemer. And then generations later, there was a king named David, and God made a covenant with David and said, from your throne, there will come one who will be the redeemer. And so Luke records for us Jesus' genealogy. I just wanted to pay attention to some of those links and an unbroken chain that Jesus is the promised redeemer. Check out the end of verse 31 if you have your text in front of you. Jesus, the son of David, King David. In the middle of verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. At the, the end of verse 36, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. At the end here in verse 38, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Jesus is the one that they've all been waiting for. He is the promised one from the very beginning of the offspring of Adam, from the covenant of Noah, to the family of Abraham, from the throne of David, I will send my anointed. And Jesus is saying from Isaiah 61, today is that day. So he rolls up the scroll and he sits down to teach. And it says, Luke records for us, and he began to say, today this scripture that you've been longing for, is inaugurated. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, he said more than that, I believe. I think believe that Luke is just recording to, he began to say, and then he teaches of how he has come to fulfill this promise. And look at this kingdom ethic. What is he here to do? Who is he here for? What's the kingdom look like? We come to preach good news to the poor. Good news is what this is all about. This is what the angels proclaimed, right? Luke 2.10 Good news I bring. The arrival of Jesus is good news for all people. It's going to cause great joy in people who receive him. So I come to preach good news to all the people. That includes those who are impoverished. See, the religious community would think, if you're poor, well, then you're an outcast. God's favor is not on you. And here Jesus says, no, my good news is for the poor. Now, this doesn't simply mean the materially poor, but also the spiritually poor. Those who are spiritually beggars. That's what poor means here. Beggars. You have nothing. 
You have to beg for everything you get. And Jesus says, I'm here to tell the beggars, you have good news. My kingdom is here for you. Who else is it for? He says, he's come to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty, freedom to captives. Those who are enslaved, either by people or by themselves. Enslaved by their own habits. Who've been held captive by their own appetites and they can't break it. There's like a change they wish they could change in their life, but they can't. I've come to set liberty. I've come to set them free. Break chains that you would experience the freedom of life. That's what my kingdom does. It's for the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Those who physically can't see and then spiritually just don't even know who God is. They have no idea how to live, how their sins can be forgiven, how they can be restored. They have no knowledge of God. My kingdom is for them. And to set liberty those who are oppressed, this word oppressed is just overwhelmed. It's like the troubles and grief and sorrows of the world have crushed you. Maybe it's the abuse of people who have crushed you and oppress you. And you think, God has forsaken me. He says, oh man, my kingdom, my kingdom is finding you and setting you free. It's to liberate those who are overwhelmed by the troubles of life. In fact, he ends by saying, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Which is a mark of seven years where God fully brings deliverance from all things. All things are restored. I've come to proclaim favor. So what's my kingdom? Oh, my kingdom is good news. My kingdom is freedom. My kingdom is recovery. My kingdom is liberty. My kingdom is favor. For who? For the poor. For the captives. For the blind. For the oppressed. For the needy. For the needy. Now, some people will get in this text and say, okay, that's all spiritual needs. Like, they over-spiritualize everything. It's not to say that God really just cares about those who are in these material conditions. But that's not how Jesus, I don't think, interprets this himself. So John the Baptist, who, remember, prepared the way for Jesus and baptized Jesus and saw him proclaimed as the Son of God, who probably heard of this inaugural address, is arrested, Luke tells us. And he's in prison, suffering. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. Because John has some questions and some doubts. Like if you're really that king and your kingdom is really showing up, why am I in prison? If you're really the one, why am I suffering? And so he sends some disciples to Jesus. This is Luke chapter 7. If you want to go there, I'll begin in verse 20. And when the men had come to him, that's Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
So Jesus makes a physical healing a spiritual reality that you can't see. He says, look and see what you, what you have here. You have, just like I said, those who are physically blind are, are seeing. Those who have been oppressed, who have been captive by disease and leprosy and cast out of the community, they're healed and restored physically. But all of these are actually pointing to a spiritual reality that, that their sins are forgiven and they're made right with God. And so it's both physical and spiritual. I think it's those who experience the physical poverty, oppression, captivity, that are probably more in tune with their spiritual need. And that's the issue that the religious people have with Jesus. Here's the question. If that's who Jesus is, and that's what his kingdom's all about, what do we need to do to receive it? How do you get that kingdom in your life? If that's the ethic of the, of the kingdom, that's what it looks like when the kingdom shows up in your life now and forever. How do you get it? What do you need to do? And as it's been said, the only need to have is need. The only need to have is need. Those who are impoverished have a need. Those who are oppressed have a need. Those who are blind have a need. Those who are held captive have a need. But what do the religious people think? I ain't got no need. You see, it's, it's their familiarity with Jesus that breeds their contempt. He's in his hometown. Remember, a prophet. Here's Jesus. I am the prophet. And a prophet has no honor, no reception in his hometown. Like, surely they've marveled with him as a youth, marveled at his teachings, marveled at his birth, marveled at his family. But it's their overfamiliarity with him that breeds contempt, breeds unbelief. Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus, knowing their hearts, says, I know this is what's going to happen. You're going to tell me, prophet, teacher, heal yourself. Which they do at the end in, in Luke 23, verse 35, Jesus is on the cross. And this religious community, watching Jesus be crucified, says, no one do anything for him. Step back. Why doesn't he heal himself? If he's worthy of Christ, why doesn't he come off the cross then? So Jesus knows what's coming. There's a prophetic word of what will happen at his crucifixion. They'll say, heal yourself. We have no belief in you unless you do what we think you should do. And so then he points out to two seasons in, in Israel's history, one that was characterized by a prophet named Elijah and one that was characterized by a prophet, Elisha. And the spirit of that age was unbelief in the prophets. And Jesus says, okay, two prophets were sent to Israel, Elijah and Elisha, and my people who should know me and love me and receive me wanted nothing to do with me. And so the prophets didn't go to the people of God. They went to the outcasts. The least, the last, and the lost. Those who knew their need. Like this widow. And like Naaman. And the widow knew her need. means she's spiritually and physically impoverished. She has nothing. Naaman has everything. He's a wealthy Syrian general. But he knows his spiritual need. And so this is what they hear. And because they have no need for Jesus... 
and they're offended by him. It goes from, look at the gracious words, to, we have to stone him to death. We got to kill him. One of the authorized ways of stoning someone is to throw him off a cliff to his death. And so they're shoving him out of the synagogue to get him out of their life and put him to the death. And Jesus walks from them, away from them, which I think is his judgment on them. If you want nothing to do with me, I'm just going to walk away. So this is the biggest stumbling block is the only thing you need to have to receive this kingdom is need. This is why it's so dangerous to be a middle class American Christian. Because everything we're doing is to make sure we don't got no needs. You see, the Americans, we, we could say as the Jewish people, like, you see Jesus have these confrontations with them. He calls them enslaved, and they say, we're not enslaved. We have Abraham as our father. We've never been enslaved. They don't see their need. And we can do the same thing. We're Americans. I mean, we live in the land of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm doing all that I can to be strong and independent and self-sufficient. And because I'm striving for self-sufficiency, self-independence, self-satisfaction, I have no need for Jesus. And the people that are in the most danger often of missing Jesus are those who are most familiar with him, who come to church on the weekend, who were born and raised in Christian homes. And they say, Jesus, I heard that. I don't want anything to do with him. We have a hard time recognizing our own needs. But that's who the kingdom is for. And those are the only ones who receive it. Are the needy. So let me ask you. Do you know your need? Where in your life you just experience, experience the poverty of soul. I experience the lack of, of provision. Where in your life are you held captive? Like you so desperately want to change, you just can't change. Where in your life do you, are you just overwhelmed with the troubles of life? And where are you going to have those needs met? It's so good to be an American, I think. We have so many failures and imperfections. But it is a wonderful place. But it is surely, surely not the kingdom. It is not the kingdom. The kingdom is so much bigger and it is eternal. And no matter how our needs are met today, unless we have Christ, our greatest need remains unmet. And what this text shows us is that those who are most vulnerable to missing Jesus are the ones 
in the religious community. Potentially the ones in the room. So if you've never received Christ, man, we got a prayer team up here every single week. We would love to, to answer any questions you have and walk you to receiving Jesus Christ for the first time ever. If you've received Christ, here's, here's the really cool thing. Is you don't just receive Christ and then wait for heaven. As Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am, what does he say, you know? Sending you. So we become the ambassadors of the kingdom. To go into all the places in which we live and work and play. And we say, we have good news for the poor. We care about the poor. We should be people who come alongside the poor in spirit and in economic status to show the kingdom's ethic. We come alongside those who are held captive. We work with agencies of, of human trafficking and those who are stuck in habits because we want them to know the liberty and freedom the kingdom of Christ brings. We come alongside those who are experiencing physical health issues because the kingdom cares about them. We come alongside those who are oppressed, overwhelmed, to share with them the year of the Lord's favor is on them. We are the ambassadors because Jesus says to the crowd there, today, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's easy to take that day and say, okay, that was, that was 2,000 years ago day. Or to look forward and say, that, that's a future day. But he says, no, today is that day. Today is the year of the Lord's favor. We live in the year of the Lord's favor in the season of the Lord's favor, in which grace is available, that the kingdom is open to all who are needy. And you know it's today, because there's another day coming. You see, Jesus didn't read all of Isaiah 61. If you want to go there and check this out with me, you can. Isaiah 61. He reads the first verse and part of verse 2. And it's an unusual place that Jesus stops. Because it's in the middle of a sentence. Isaiah 61, 1. Here are the words that Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's the middle of the sentence. And he rolled up the scroll and he sat down and said, this is what I've come to do. And this is one of the stumbling blocks for the Jews to receive Jesus is they assumed when Messiah come, he would do that and this. And the day of vengeance of our God. Like I would come to restore all of that. And then bring the judgment, bring the restoration of all things. That I would bring judgment on all the evil in the world. Then it goes on, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The day of the vengeance. 
to right every wrong, to wipe every tear, and to mend every wound, to draw out from what has been destroyed and make all things new. And the stumbling block is this, that the assumption was all that was going to happen in one coming. And Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, the day of the Lord's favor, and then paused and said, the door's open. The door's open for all who want to come to the kingdom. And then there is a second coming of Christ where the rest of Isaiah is fulfilled. But if you hear his voice today, we do not want to harden our hearts as a rebellious people, but to recognize our own need and come running. The only need you need to have is need. Are you needy? Or are, like, are you like those who say, Jesus, I have no need for him. Let's kill him. And then as the people who receive Jesus, we are scattered everywhere now as the ambassadors in the day of the Lord's favor to say the kingdom is open. This is the kingdom. It's this good. It is so good. You've got to come in. How does Jesus reach lawyers with the message of the kingdom? He, he takes some of his kiddos who love him and he raises them up to go be lawyers and he scatters them in all kinds of law firms and says, go tell them. As I was sent, I send you. How does he reach teachers? How does he reach law enforcement and soldiers? How does he reach people in your neighborhood, in your family, at work? How does he do it? You and me who have been brought in the kingdom are now released as ambassadors of the kingdom. To go tell them. All those who are needy, I have good news. All those who are held captive, there is freedom. Those who are struggling, there is recovery. Those who are oppressed, there is favor. That's our message. And that's where I want to end today. Is that we'd all just stand and that I would send you out with a blessing. Oftentimes the synagogue would end with a blessing over the people. And so I just want to bless you, and, and we're going to leave this space as the ambassadors of, of the kingdom of God. The one that Jesus inaugurated, the one that his death and resurrection secured, the ones in which, the ones in which we believe and belong. And so, Father, I thank you that you delight, it is your delight, it's your, your joy to take the poor, weak, foolish things of the world, to embarrass the wealthy, strong, wise in their own eyes. Thank you for calling a bunch of weak, needy people like us to you. That we would be built up, firm, strong, and steadfast in our faith. And so, Father, may we know that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room as we depart from this room and are scattered everywhere this week. They would go as ambassadors of the kingdom in which you inaugurated to tell the world good news 
of freedom, of recovery, of liberty, and favor in which no other leader, country, system, product can satisfy. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us courage. You'd give us opportunity and eyes to see. And then, Lord, I pray for my friends who are extremely needy today. And they so desperately need you to speak into their life, into their marriage, into their family, into their health, into the future. Lord, I pray that you would divinely, by your spirit, meet each one of us individually. And then collectively as a community, may we support one another, bearing with one another our struggles. And so prove to be your disciples and be the body of Christ together. We commit all of this to you by the name of our Savior, Jesus, the anointed one, Messiah. Thank you, Father. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We look forward to gathering again very soon. Have a great Sunday.